hope, I, at least I've heard, I, I, I hope you have said this at some point in time. I've definitely have said this at some point in, some point in time that I am so happy for person X that came in my life at this point in time to help me with X, Y, Z. I, you fill in the blank. But I hope you have said at some point in time, I'm so grateful for this person who came in my life at this point in time. I'm so happy for this friendship or this person telling me so forth and so on. I hope that you have experienced someone telling you certain things that maybe you were, like when you look back, obviously in the moment, maybe you, don't, you didn't appreciate it. But when you look back, you'll be like, man, I'm so grateful for that person, what he told me. Or he gave me that suggestion or he even just asked me that question that made me rethink my life decisions. I hope that you have someone or you had someone that you can say that you can always look back and say, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for that person. I wouldn't, be, I wouldn't have gone through that if it wasn't for a person X, Y, Z. I hope you have said that at some point in time. We all have people in our lives that give us insight, or at least I hope we all have someone in our lives that gives us insight, perspective to things, maybe can kind of ask the right question for us to rethink through something, something we're going through. I hope that we all have that somebody that maybe if anything, to at least just give us hope through a hardship. Today we are on part four of a series titled The Author of Life. And the subtitle is very simple. Steps to building and strengthening trust, even when running on empty. We live in a world where we're always on the go, always on to the next thing, and we feel depleted. We feel empty. But we're trying to regain our trust in something or someone bigger than ourselves. But sometimes it's so hard, right? We, we put our trust on, on what's going on in the world as opposed to putting trust into the one who has the entire world in the palm of his hand. If I asked you, would you love to build your trust into God more? Would you, would, you, would you want to strengthen your faith in God? The answer would be yes. But many of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we think if I just press a button, then I can say, oh, I have faith in God. Or no, I don't have faith in God. It's not a button you press, but it's more like a muscle that we build. And I'll tell you the truth. And I always talk about this because this is, like, I'm very passionate about, like, the post-Christian movement, people deconverting from Christianity. Most people, most people deconvert from Christianity is because they have built their faith growing up and, 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 they, and they connected with God and invested themselves into church. But they didn't know what to do with their faith. They're like, okay, I have faith in God, I think, but they don't know what that looks like when, when you have a breakup. They don't know what their faith looks like when you have that hardship at work. They don't, know what that, uh, they don't know what that faith looks like when you're going through that crisis. You don't know what that faith looks like at work, at home, at school. It would, I, we don't know what that faith looks like as the different hits come upon us in life. We do not know what to do with our faith. Something hit me just a few days ago. And it's something that we actually pray liturgically in our ancient faith. And it's written by somebody named St. Gregory, St. Gregory the Theologian. He said these words, and actually we prayed it today in liturgy. He said this, May the righteousness of faith grow. God straighten for us the way of godliness. Faith is not a button. It's not a question, do you have faith or not have faith? St. Gregory has wrote in his own personal prayer in which we pray now centuries later. For us to say, may the righteousness of faith grow. May with the ethic of what is faith, may this righteousness of faith. We don't want it to be a button, we want it to grow. You and I are here because we have faith, but we want it to grow. 
And let's be honest, when tension comes, when hardship comes, it's easy for our faith, our trust in God to kind of go aside, for it to fade away. But what if there is steps? What if there are certain catalysts in which we can focus on in order to strengthen and build the muscle of faith? It was the early Christians. It was this one central question in which empowered them to take bold steps. There is this one question which ran through them that empowered them to embrace hardship and pain and struggles and insecurities. And it was this one question. What would I do? And the question is for you and me today. What would I do if I knew the author of life is with me and desires to work through me? I can ask anybody at any point in time, do you believe there is an author of life? Sure, that sounds nice. Yeah, I'm sure there is some higher being. There, there, I'm sure there is some uncreated deity who is the author of life. The follow-up question, what would you do if you knew that the author of life is desiring to work in you and through you? What if that author of life is wanting to, to partner with you and to strengthen a partnership with you to do amazing things through you? The essential ingredients for you and me, the essential ingredients for us to build and strengthen our faith comes down to a handful of catalysts, a handful of ingredients. And the first one that we focused on a few weeks ago was for us to hear and act. You and I can hear the author of life through his word, through the Bible. You and I can hear the author of life. But to hear it, it doesn't do us any good. It has to lead to application. It has to be lead to execution. You can believe and you can hear how nutrition is good for you. But if it doesn't lead to action, and we talked about the song. I'm, I'm just excited because I'm watching Space Jam 2 this day, later today. But I believe I can fly. I can say I believe. I believe I can fly. I believe, uh, you know, I need to eat more fruits and vegetables. I believe I need to work out. I can say I believe. I believe I need to work on my marriage. If I, if I, believe, I believe, I believe. Then what? Jesus told his early followers, do not settle just for believe. Anybody could believe. Believe is safe. Believe is convenient. But he actually, he pushed Philip. He pushed Nathaniel. And he said, follow me. And your father, your heavenly father, it invites you to the same. Don't settle for believe. The number one catalyst in which we talked about, in which it can build the muscle of our trust in God stronger, is not only to settle to hear, but to act. And this, this hear and act obviously came from the litany or the prayer that we pray every time we read the Bible in our liturgical services. We say, maybe we be worthy not only to hear, but to act according to your holy gospel. Last week, we talked about catalyst number two, which is to serve. Many of you are here because somebody answered a call to say, you know what, I'm not really feeling it, but you know what, I will serve in this capacity. I will lead this group. I will do Sunday school. I will help in whatever capacity. You, you, somebody said yes to God in service, and because of that, you are here. You have no idea what you, you, what's, at, what's on, what you could be missing for you not to answer the call to serve and to give of yourself, of your gifts, and which God has entrusted with you with. You do not know what's at stake for you not to utilize that in service. You and I are here is because someone said yes to serving you. What if the next generation is awaiting for you to do the same? 
the second catalyst in which builds this endurance and faith and trust in someone bigger than ourselves is to hear and to act and then to put it into action in service. Today's catalyst, today's catalyst, which can strengthen our trust in the author of life is edifying friendships. Edifying friendships. There might have been times, uh, for me, I'm sure for you, where certain people have come into our lives at a certain time to make us rethink things, to embrace some aspect of our life we've been trying to run away from, maybe just to give us hope, maybe just to encourage us, maybe just to empower us, maybe for us, to, for, for God to use them, for, for, for God to give us divine intervention, for good or for bad. Maybe we've had those tough conversations with somebody who has come to you for you to kind of open your eyes. Maybe some of us try to brush that person off. But what if there are edifying friendships in which we can receive and also give, which can strengthen our trust in someone bigger than ourselves? From that video from, from the, is it a movie, documentary, The, the Chosen? Show, okay. So from, from, the, from the show, like, they, they highlighted uh, Philip and Nathaniel. So Philip was someone who was kind of one foot into, like, who this Jesus of Nazareth is. So Philip was kind of like, you know, I'm kind of curious. I don't know. But as he kept on taking one step and one step and one step and one step closer to knowing who Jesus is, as more people were talking about Jesus around town, he, had, he went all in. He went all in to following Jesus. But he said, time out, Jesus, before we go all in, I got I to gotta tell my boy, uh, Nathaniel. I, 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 I want to talk to him. I want to tell him about who you are. So Philip, go, he calls Nathaniel. He says, this is the guy. Like everything we learned in Sunday school from the, from, from the Jewish Bible, everything we know from the Old Testament, that this, this is the God, man. This is God incarnate. This, he's legit. You need to come and see him. What does Nathaniel say? Very logical, very skeptical. I can relate, and I respect his response. He says this. What'd you say, Philip? He's from where? Nazareth? Can anything good come out of, from, from there? Nathaniel said. Like what is Nathaniel saying? He's saying, what? Wait, where'd you say he's from? I don't, I don't want to make any city feel bad, but I'm, if, you, if you can think of like, someone say, he's from what city? Man, no, nothing good comes out of that city. I'm not going to waste my time talking to this guy that you, you claim to be the son of God when he's coming from Nazareth. And what is Philip's response to his boy? Come and see. I don't have all the answers for you, Nathaniel. And I get, I get your, 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 you being skeptical, I, I get it. And your hesitation, I respect it 100%. But you know what? I, I'm trying to figure this out too. I'm trying to figure out life as well. I'm trying to figure out who the author of life is too. But we can go on this journey together. Just, just come and see. This is why our number one core value here at St. Mark Church is this. I want to read it to you. The, the phrase is come as you are. That's our, that's our number one core value. And the description is this. People who were nothing like Jesus gravitated toward him. And what is true of Christ should be true of us. Regardless of your background or past, your Savior invites you to come and see. Philip invested in a friendship with Nathaniel. Both had a certain level of humility to be curious to find out who God is. And because of their, their brotherhood, their bond as friends, Philip found something that sparked an interest in him 
could this guy be legit? Then that sparked him to grab his friend Nathaniel. And that sparked an edifying conversation, an edifying friendship, which changed the course of history. And thousands of years later, there are priests named Nathaniel, just because Nathaniel invested in a friendship with Philip. And it strengthened them. For you and me, do we have those edifying friendships, which can be a catalyst for us to grow and, and strengthen our trust in God? Do we have those edifying friendships in which we can have those deeper conversations or those deeper relationships with? This did not occur unless they had some type of friendship together. The great missionary, St. Paul the Apostle, whose entire focus was around the Mediterranean Sea, he wrote this words to a group of early Christians. Let us hold fast. Let us hold fast to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. He's saying, let us hold on to not the theory of hope or optimism. Let us hold on to the one who is hope, right? Don't we pray in the litany of the gospel, for you are the life of us all, the salvation of us all, the hope of us all. He's saying, hold on to that. Be steadfast into holding on to that. Because if you don't, if it's very passive, you might shift left and right. He's, so he's telling the early followers, and he's telling you and me today, let us hold fast to the hope we profess. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another. You know what spur means? That's not a word we really, really say. To spur one another. Empower each other. Encourage one another. By the way, soup, this is random trivia. Do you know how many one another's there are in just the New Testament? Forget the Old Testament for a second. How many one another's? Do you think it's more than 50? Do you think it's more than 100? Yeah, so it's about, it about 94 depending on how you count it. There's about 94 times in which we should encourage one another, inspire one another, love one another, esteem one another. There are over 94 times in which we are called to love one another, inspire one another. So St. Paul tells us, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Be for real. Do you invest in those friendships in which you can empower someone, encourage them, Strengthen them. Push them toward the author of life. Philip invested in his relationship with Nathaniel to the point that Nathaniel could, could say, yeah, yeah, I, I, let's, let's give it a shot. Let's have a conversation with Jesus to see if he's legit. Do we have those friendships in which we can have those deeper edifying conversations? Spur one another on toward uh, love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together. Obviously, he's not saying this in the context of COVID here. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. Why, why was St. Paul so eloquent to strategically structure his sentence for him to say, don't give up meeting together? You know why he's saying don't give up meeting together? They're like if I say don't give up exercising. When I say don't give up exercising, that means we both admit exercise is hard, okay? When I say don't give up. But he's saying don't give up meeting together. You know why he's saying it like that? He's not saying, you should, meet one another, you should meet together. No, he's saying, don't give up meeting together. You know why he says that? It is hard to meet together. You have long days of work. Then you have so many errands waiting for you at home. You got some, maybe some kids giving you a hard time. You have Atlanta traffic on top of that. But St. Paul tells you and me, do not give up meeting together. You would love to be able to sleep in on a Sunday morning. But St. Paul tells us, do not give up meeting together. Keep your eye on the goal. If we say that hope is a person, 
if, we, if, we're, if we're admitting that, then it requires us not to give up meeting together. Because our reflex, if we're not pushing through that, our reflex is, you know what, this might be a good morning for me to sleep in, drink some coffee, you know, maybe I'll watch Space Jam 2 and just call it a day. The temptation is, is real if that's, if that's going to be our approach. But he's saying, don't give up meeting together. Make it a priority. Structure yourself and be intentional of your edification, your growth, to be with one another. There's no way around it. Like, I can't dance around that. Not giving up meeting together, as some, uh, as some are in the habit of doing. So he admits it. Some people are in the habit of not meeting together. Some people are in the habit of saying, you know what, I, I, I can strengthen my trust with God my own way. I don't need to do, like, I don't need to go to the men's group. I don't need to go to a women's group. I'm not here to make anyone feel bad. I'm just using that as an example, okay? So, you know, he, he's saying some people are in the habit of not, uh, of not going to life group. Some people are in the habit of not getting together. Some people are in the habit. That's fine. But I want you to rise above that. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. He's saying, I promise you, there will be a day, capital D, day, that will come, in, in, in which there will be the age to come, will be in front of us. So don't lose sight that we are here for a temporal time. Since we are here for a temporal time, prioritize, invest to encourage one another, inspire one another, meet with one another, invest in those edifying relationships. Going back to deconversion, post-Christian America, people, those who say, I'm kind of done with the whole church thing, the whole Jesus thing. Let's focus on that. People drift away. When people say, you know, I'm kind of done with the whole church thing. People drift away from church friends way before they drift away from, from the church. Let me say that again. People drift away from edifying friendships way before they drift away from God. People begin to drift away from edifying friendships way before they decide, I'm, I'm kind of done with the whole God and Jesus thing. Before people get to that stage, the first step is they step away from edifying friendships. Let this not be like, oh, yeah, I see that in XYZ person. That's you and me. We can begin to drift away. Your marriage can begin to drift away. Your kids could begin to drift away. When we begin to say, well, I got to focus on my career. I got to do this. I need to focus on that. And then we invest less and less into edifying friendships. This is a precursor. This is, this is leading to us moving away from the author of life. People lose faith when they lose contact with people of faith. People lose faith when they lose contact with people of faith. We are relational beings. For those who were in the liturgy sermon earlier this morning, we are relational beings. We are social beings. We, insp we inspire one another. I mean, just, just in this couple of verses, St. Paul said it twice, one another. We are relational beings. We are social beings. When we can disconnect ourselves from that, it's just a matter of time until things unfold. My question for you and for me, do we invest in those edifying friendships, those edifying relationships, or is it very passive? If it comes, it comes, if not, if I, if I have time, right? If I have time. If I have time, I'll watch the NBA finals because that's maybe a lower priority. If I have time, I'm going to invest into edifying friendships. And I'm not, I'm not saying, let me say that back, rewind. If I say, if I have time, yeah, I'll whatever. Like I'll, I'll, I'll watch the highlights of the game. But what's a priority is those relationships. Listen, 
I'm the biggest introvert in this room, believe it or not. I, I, but I need, I need that men's group. I need when we're coming together and, and, and inspiring each other and being real with each other. I need that. If we're honest with ourselves, we all need that. There was a statistic. They, get this. This is a crazy statistic. 71% of the unchurched either never went to church or kind of said, I'm done with church. 71% of the unchurched say they are likely to accept a personal invitation from a family member friend or co-worker to attend church 71 percent 71 percent think of friends or co-workers or family members that are kind of said um, the whole church thing that's not for me i'll just live a good life imagine imagine you said hey well if you're free next sunday you know I, i'd love for you to come to the eight imagine 71 percent of them would say you know what i'm down especially be smooth about it be like hey let's come to the eight and then you know let's go grab something to eat afterward make it invest in that relationship 71% of people would say yes to come. But think about it. All of us, and I was definitely like this before priesthood, of just, you know, I don't well, they, they, they might, like, I don't know, if I, they come, what if my church is not this? Or, like, what if my, the priest talks about, like, you know, we need to give money to the church, and I don't want my, I don't want my friend to hear that. And, and we always think of these excuses of why we shouldn't bring, like, a, a friend or we shouldn't invite. But ask yourself, are you investing in those edifying relationships? Or is it passive? Or is it high level? Or is it superficial? We talked about this at the 8. I love it how when God syncs up, like the message from today's gospel and the 8. I, I love this when this happens. We tell our kids this. Your friends determine the quality and direction of your life. Your friends determine the quality and the direction of your life. We can, when we think of that, we think of, uh, that's what we tell kids. You know, you need to invest in the right friendships. It's not a child thing. It's, it's a human thing. The friends that we invest in determine the quality and the direction of our lives. Are we strategic? Do we see that as being a catalyst for my strength to grow in God? Do I see that as a catalyst or not? Your friends determine the quality and direction of your life. Just from a sociological perspective. Sorry for repeating myself from earlier today. You are the average of your five closest friends. You are the average of your five closest friends. Those who influence you, if it's family or friends, whatever the case might be, the five people closest to you influence you the most than any other group. You are the average. Are those edifying friendships? Are those edifying relationships? Or is there a tension point where I have like my, my church self, my church face, who I am in church, and who I am at work or at school or so forth and so on? And there's a tension when we have two versions of ourselves. You are the average of your five closest friends. Friends. Sorry. Do you know what does a widow, an orphan, a traveler, and a stranger, do you know what they all have in common? Say that again. God is their companion. Okay, very good. A widow, an orphan, a traveler, and a stranger. All four of those people are missing an essential relationship. A widow, an orphan, a traveler, and a stranger. They're missing edifying relationship. These are four categories of people we pray for liturgically in our ancient prayers. The widow, the orphan, the traveler, the stranger. Many of us fall into the category of being a stranger. 
we have a lot of people we follow. We watch a lot of things about different people. I have a lot of friends. I have a lot of followers, so forth and so on. Yeah, I know a lot of people at church. How are you? Good, 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 good to see. All right, take care of that. We know a lot of people. But we're still a stranger. Of us not knowing ourselves and not knowing the author of life. You are not created to be like this. Why? Why from the first early centuries of the church does the church make a big deal of praying for the widow, the orphan, the traveler, the stranger? Because we find ourselves in them as well. That we are, we are travelers. We're travelers in this world. We are strangers maybe because we isolate ourselves. If we pray for them, for them to have edifying friendships and relationships, that's you and me as well. We're all missing essential relationships and friendships. And assess where we are now with your edifying friendships and ask, do they convict me? Do they empower me? Do I have a Philip in my life that can, can ha- I can have those deeper conversations? Or is it just high level? Or is it just a hobby? Or is it just whatever the case might be? Do I have those edifying relationships that push me, that strengthen me, that empower me for me to strengthen my trust in the author of life? I pray for us that through these three catalysts that we've talked about so far, for me to not only hear but to act, for me to serve and to put into action what I have been entrusted with from above, and then ultimately what we talked about today, for me to invest in edifying friendships, this is how we can build the muscle of faith. Let's stand up for a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Lord, we come to you as your children, not as individuals, but as your children, as persons belonging to your one body. Lord, we're pulled on so many sides to just feel occupied and, and to be busy with so many other things. And maybe we just assess our social life just on, as far as what's online. But what we desire is healthy, genuine, vulnerable relationships and conversations with others. And Lord, this might be the catalyst for so many of us, for us to strengthen our faith, our faith in you. Lord, I pray that we can fight the temptation of being individualistic, of thinking we got this on our own, or that I'm just going to pursue God on my own, that we can push past that, and we can find life in the spiritual hospital, which is your church. Through the prayers of St. Philip, St. Nathaniel, and all your saints, Lord, hear us as we pray thankfully. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one, in Christ Jesus, our Lord, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you, guys. We'll continue the series next Sunday.